speaks to us in his word in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Great. Everybody's doing great. My name's Ben. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here and serve as one of the pastors alongside uh, Pat, who you just heard from, um, and really are uh, honored that you'd be with us today. Um, it is not lost on me that you took a day off where you could be sleeping, eating brunch right now, and you decided to come to church. So let me talk to those of you who are not familiar with church. There's a few of you probably in the room. I'm assuming there's always a few. Uh, maybe church is new. I don't know. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you just don't even know what to expect. You probably have at least 1,000 questions about why we say the things we do, uh, why we sing the things that we sing. And I just want you to know I'm proud of you for, be, for being here. It takes a lot of courage. If you don't know about Christianity, if you don't know about church world, to come to church and uh, really sit through all this. So if you have questions at all, um, and I will do my best to answer them. I'll be right down front. There'll be several people down front after the service that would love to do our best to uh, answer your questions about church. And it's fitting that you're here today because today's sermon is about church. It's about Sundays, also called the Lord's Day. We have been through the summer, we have been talking about the things that we, the Christian in the room, the things that we need to do to really be a Christian. And not just say that we're Christian, but be people who actually follow Jesus. Because that's what Christian means. Christian means you follow Jesus. Christian also means that you say, Jesus is the one who can save me. And but before that has to happen, you have to realize, I need saving. I need to be saved. And then you go, okay, I'm not gonna be able to save myself. I have come to the realization that I'm a hot mess. I'm broke down, I cannot even on my best day, I'm not like that good of a person. <laughs> I need somebody to save me. And that's the first step, and the next is I need somebody to save me, and then it's Jesus save me. Okay, Jesus save me. And the, in the Bible Belt, man, when we live in this deal where we think that that's the one thing, and then you're, it's a done deal, there's no more needed to be done. But the problem is, how many of you in this room, including me, how many of us said, okay, I've been saved, um, I thought that was it, but I don't just naturally keep getting better at being a Christian. Does anybody in here feel like, I, I, think I've, I think I've figured it out. I think I've totally figured it out. I am a perfect Christian person. Anybody? You just are not, <laughs> I see some looking around the room going, is anybody raising their hand? Yeah, if they raise their hand, we all need to go talk, listen to that person. Um. We're just not always moving up and to the right. We just kind of tail off, you know? We kind of struggle, it's hard. 
It's hard to follow Jesus. So what we come to the conclusion is this. Throughout church history, throughout the history of Christians, people have said we need things to anchor us. We are like a ship out in the sea that's tossed to and fro by every wave. We need something to anchor us. We need to put an anchor down that will help us follow Jesus. Even though we're not going to do it perfectly, even though we're going to be a hot mess sometimes, we need something. We need a set of things. And the Bible actually gives us those things. Those are called spiritual disciplines. But in 2022, a group of us pastors got together and we said, well, I don't really like the term discipline. So let's use rhythms of grace. And that's what, really what they are. They're rhythms of grace. They are the rhythms in our life that help us understand and live in the grace of God. So we've talked about things like prayer, study of God's word, how important those things are. We've talked about things like community, being with people, how important that is. We even talked about things like work. The rhythm of working unto the Lord is important, but then also rest, not working, is actually a biblical thing to do. And today, we're gonna talk about one of the most important rhythms of grace for you to follow Jesus in your life. And that is the rhythm of the Sunday morning. It is important. But boy, has it lost its way. Man, the, culturally speaking, this area of the world is called the Bible Belt. And the reason is, is because it's like the belt buckle of America. It's like, it's where a lot of people go to church a lot of people lo love to say that they love Jesus, but what's interesting is there are a lot of people who are really, really churched, but don't really know Jesus. That's the over-churched, under-gospeled crowd. And I'll bet you there are some people in this room today that think, man, church people make me sick. They're so hypocritical. They don't really follow Jesus. They just go to this thing because their parents went to this thing and because their parents went to this thing and they just sit there, they got their seat. Don't nobody, that's my seat. Nobody sits in my seat. They got their seat, their row, they sit there. That's where the so-and-so sit. Nobody needs to sit there. They've been coming here every day for the last 712 years. That's where they sit by God. Nobody touch it. It's what they do, man. It's who they are. It's, they go to church. It's every country song, which I love country music, you know, but it's those country songs now that talk about it's just what we do. We're in the South. We go to the boondocks. We, uh, we pray at, before a meal. It's just what we go to church on Sundays. That's just what we do. We're from the South. We're from the Bible Belt. It's a cultural thing for me. But man, God bless the Bible Belt, but it has messed some of us straight up. It's messed us up. And if you're like me, I, here's who I am. Parents in the room, you might, this is, might be the, where you draw the line and decide to hate me. I was the child that needed my mom to explain everything. Anything she told me to do, I'd be like, why? And what does she say? I'm the parent. That's why. I'm the parent, that's why. And I'd be like, that ain't good enough. Mom, I'm a nine-year-old man. I need an explanation. I need some kind of, you need a, I need a memo that gets me ready beforehand, that gives me a full, like some sort of booklet maybe, to explain to me why you need me to take the trash out every day. 
My poor mom, man, bless her heart. She's amazing. We do the things that we do and we don't know why. And the Bible Belt culture says, I follow Jesus because I go to church. As opposed to, I go to church because I follow Jesus. We slipped into an idea that church needs to be constantly reimagined, remade. Church has lost its relevance, so they better come up with some cool marketing schemes and constantly be doing that. That sounds terrible. I, I would hate to be the kind of pastor that's really just a PR rep. We need better coffee options in church. Better social media presence. If we just can just change some things and church just, you know, if we can just adapt and let's be relevant, let's try to be relevant, make the Bible relevant, make church relevant, then hopefully like some cool people walk in the door and it won't be, you know. Is that what we're doing? Is that what we're doing? Is that what you want to do? Just we go to church because we do? Who wants to do that? I need for us, for me, to do like I did my mom and ask, why? Why? I just stay at home. If that's what we're doing, just stay at home, man. There ain't no sense in coming to church if you just, just what we do because we're in Oklahoma. We need to know why, man. We need a better, we need a theology. We need an understanding of Sunday church gathered. Why does the church matter so much? With so much hypocrisy, with so many imperfect leaders, with so many weird people, why do Sundays matter? There's a thing going around that it's not just in Pot County, but it's what I just have kind of termed as the Pot County expert Christian. It's this, it's this idea that I am better off doing God on my own than I am in the church. So I listen to every preacher on earth. I listen to all the podcasts. I know all the worship music. I know this, that, and the other, but I have no skin in the game. I'm not a member. I'm not, I'm not like in it with people. It's this, I have cornered the market. I'm an expert Christian. Because church doesn't matter. We've lost our way with what we're even doing here. And my hope is today through the Bible that we rediscover in a major way why, what is happening on Sundays, whether you feel it happening or not. So the Lord's Day is this. Some call it the new Sabbath. The Lord's Day is Sunday, by the way. When I say the Lord's Day, I'm talking about Sundays. Some have called it the new Sabbath. It's not. Sunday is not the new Sabbath. And by Sabbath, I mean this. Sabbath is that day of rest that God's people, Israel, were given as a mandate to take a day of rest, to rest. And they did what we do with everything, every good thing that God gives us. They took and they turned it and they twisted it. And all of a sudden, they made the Sabbath the day of rest, which was meant for them to be replenished and to worship God and to know him more. They took that and made it their idol. And so the Sabbath, there's one scene in the Gospels where uh, the religious leaders come to Jesus, ironically, which is always ironic because he was God. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, you're working on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work at all on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes on and says to them, look, man was not made for the Sabbath. 
Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what happened was the Sabbath, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, which he was, which he was actually resurrected on the first day of the week, then the Sabbath, the worship of God, switched to Sundays because Sundays was the day of the resurrected king, and that became the Lord's Day. So the church of God went from Saturday Sabbath to Sunday worship, and then Sabbath went from a day where man had to follow rules. Sabbath became a person in Jesus, Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, we talked about this last Sunday. I'm not telling you you shouldn't have a day of rest. I think most everybody in this room Probably, if you don't already, you probably don't do this, but you should set a day aside where you rest. But in a cultural level, it is not Sundays. I'm just telling you. Now, if you choose Sundays for that to be your day of rest, great. But Sabbath is a person, rest is a person. The Church of Christ, at its core, will always be this find its rest in Jesus. And you know how? You know why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Now don't let that just be a statement that you hear in one ear and out the other. He literally did rise from the dead. At the core of the Christian belief is this belief in something crazy. I can have rest today and eternally because Jesus never rested and rose from the dead. And he actually doesn't now sleep or slumber. He works on our behalf. You get to rest because of the work that Jesus has done. The church of Christ at its core is a people of the resurrection. The Lord's day is a day to remember what Jesus has done and then who we are because of what he's done. And it's way more than even just that. Listen to this by Adrian Warnock, wrote this book called Raised with Christ. It's a great book. After Jesus was raised from the dead, the resurrected Lord appeared to hundreds of men and women, transforming fearful doubters to boldly proclaiming Christ's death and resurrection. These fearful doubters were transformed and willing to endure persecution and even die for this reality. As a result of this proclamation, the church was born and grew with Sunday as the primary day of worship, calling it the Lord's Day. The church did not create the resurrection stories. Instead, the resurrection stories created the church. I've got a few things I want you to see. If you take notes, now's the time about why Sundays matter so much and what is happening in the room when we gather on Sundays and why Hebrews tells us don't forsake it. Do not forsake it. Don't not meet. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable you are. It doesn't matter whatever you're thinking. It doesn't matter how busy you are. Get together and do it on the Lord's Day. Number one, Sundays are about what Jesus has done. That's what this day is about, what Jesus has done. Look at Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. I'm going to read it again for you. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, touch somebody next to you and say, since we have confidence. My goodness. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Because of what Jesus has done, we now have confidence. Since, because, now you have confidence. 
And what Jesus has done has given us that because before we had no confidence. We had to keep every rule exactly. Because of what the work that Jesus has done, his resurrection, now we have confidence. We have changed. Our insecurity is now security. I am secure in Jesus. I know what he's done. And you know what? I don't always feel what he's done. Sometimes it's news to me a little bit to my heart, but I can walk to the place where I sit down and I stand and I sing, not based on my feelings, but because I know. I'm in my, I am purposed to know. I'm making it known to myself. Jesus rose from the dead. Because of what he's done, we have confidence. He is resurrected, therefore we celebrate with confidence. Piper said it this way, and the meaning of that day is that Jesus is risen, and Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is creator, and Jesus is redeemer, and Jesus is the only place of rest for the soul, talking about Sundays. It's a day for worshiping Jesus. It's a day for saying by what we do and don't do that Jesus, not our work, and not the money we get from our work, is our treasure and our meaning. It is a special day for the honor and the glory of the Lord, a day for mercy and for man. Sundays are about what Jesus has done. Second, Sundays are about what we do because of what Jesus has done. Hebrews 10, 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I want to read that first line again. Since we have a great high priest, let us draw near with a true heart. Touch somebody and say, draw near with a true heart. True heart. Draw near with a true heart. I love this because... In the Bible Belt, we have come under some kind of spell. We think that church is the place that we draw near with a false heart. We put on a mask. We put on some sort of clothing. We put on our ideal self. We're all smiles. We don't talk to anybody about what's going on in our life. We don't come to God with a true heart. And this says... Because of what God has done, let us draw near with a true heart. Why is it so hard for us to be vulnerable? Why is it so hard for us to be honest? You can come exactly like you are. Hot mess and everything. Crazy, doesn't matter. Come. Just come. Let us draw near with a true heart. We sometimes flip this the other way around. We think because of Jesus, I have liberty to follow him on my own. It's, that's not it. Because of Jesus, draw near. And later on, he's going to say, to the gathering of believers. Jesus is at work, and because of what Jesus has done, we work. So this is how it goes. Jesus works. He initiates. He does the work for us saves us, changes us, seats us with him in heavenly places that'll never change. If you're a Christian today, you will be one forever. But then we work. 
because of what he's done. So Jesus works. He's the high priest, a better high priest than we could ever want. He's the lead pastor. The Bible actually describes him as the head of the body. Have you ever thought about it that way? I'm not really your lead pastor. Jesus is. I'm just following him the best I can, which is great for me because I don't have to be Jesus to you. And guess what? I never could anyway. So some, I'm just please begging you at this point, don't look at me like Jesus. <laughs> I'm not him. I'm a dude. I'm a member in this church. I've got a role, and so do you. We follow Jesus. My role is to be the lead pastor of this local expression of the body of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. Colossians 1, and he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus works, high priest, lead pastor, sufficient, wonderful counselor, and then we work. And here's where the Bible tells us in Hebrews what to do. Draw near with a true heart, verse 22. Real people, not ideal people. Vulnerability and honesty, those should be the marks of a church person. Verse 23, it says, hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold fast the confession of our hope, meaning hold on to it, man. You're gonna try to get so many things to try to take it out of your hands. The confession, that's why we recite the Apostles' Creed together. That's why we sing stuff. We hold, that's us holding fast. That's us showing up going, man, I forgot this week what the confession of my hope is. I need to get together with some other people that also forgot and recite it. I need to hold fast the confession of our hope. Verse 24, stir up one another to love and good works. I love this. Stir up one another to love and good works. One of the core components of Sundays and church community is simply this, encouragement. It's one of the core components. It's also a non-negotiable. I mean what I'm about to say. It's going to sound like hyperbole, but I just, the more I read the Bible, the more themes stick out to me. You do not get a pass on encouragement if you're a Christian. It has nothing to do with your personality. It has nothing to do with the way that you think or operate or speak or whatever. It actually requires a lot of vulnerability to be encouraging to someone. And it also requires words. It means us opening our mouth to say, I'm not great at this, but I love you. You're doing a good job whatever. Glad you're here. This is a non-negotiable. It is one of the major themes of the Bible. I'm almost, it's almost worth us testing out. He, you know what Hebrews says? Hebrews says, so long as it's today, meaning every day, so long as today is today, encourage one another to keep from the deceitfulness of sin. I don't wonder how many of us in this room are struggling to get out of the same patterns of the deceitfulness of sin because of the lack of encouragement that we give and receive. The Bible's clear. But we hate this idea in America. We hate it. Because we think if we encourage somebody, we think it's up to us to not puff somebody up with pride. And it's not. You're not God. <laughs> so we think if we encourage somebody, then all of a sudden they're not gonna produce what they need to produce. Because the best way for anybody to produce anything is through fear, right? 
Now, the Bible says the opposite of that. You follow Jesus, you must encourage. Stir up one another to love and good works. It's a non-negotiable. All of our brains have been messed up because of the fall. Listen to me. We all struggle with this. But that's why the Bible says this in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then just a little bit later, a few verses later in Romans 12, here's what it says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. This is a command. Listen to this next statement. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's like the only place the Bible tells us it's okay to be competitive. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Listen to this. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I love that. It's a theme throughout scripture. Outdo one another in showing honor. Sundays are because of what Jesus has done and then also we work because of what Jesus has done. We celebrate it, we sing about it, the resurrection of Jesus, and then we work because of what Jesus has done. The third thing is this, Sundays are a necessary rhythm. They are a necessary rhythm, but here's how rhythms work. Um, we struggle with any sort of rhythm unless it's a bad rhythm. <laughs> Good and bad habits. Uh, Hebrews 10, 25, not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are creatures of habit. We have good habits and bad habits. That's everybody in the room. Nobody's just full of only good habits. You have good habits and bad habits. We are creatures of habit. We were made for habit. This is called liturgy. Liturgy is that thing that we do every day. I make a cup of coffee. I throw the Frisbee with my dog. I'm telling you about my life now. Uh, I, whatever. We have certain habits, okay? God made us that way. We have a whole world that's constantly pulling us towards away from the gospel, bad habits. And it is true. There are no stalemates in Christianity, you don't just stay at this one level and hope to coast. It's either we're moving forward towards Jesus or away from him. That really is true. We need good habits. And it's no wonder this, man. If, if Sundays are meant to be a habit, a rhythm, it's no wonder that over time, it may not happen quickly. I don't know when it does, but for those of us who follow Jesus, if we stop making this a habit, it is inevitable that we will, our theology will be shaken our orthodox beliefs will be shaken and we'll eventually be upset, mad, you name it, and uh, walk away from what we've believed. Sunday is an important habit. I've watched that happen so many times. People in this church who um, love Jesus so much, it kind of breaks my heart to talk about and um, just stop being around. Stop listening to people. 
started like believing the gospel of culture and supposed to, which ain't good news at all. Stop being reminded on Sundays and eventually walk away from Jesus. Sundays are a necessary rhythm. Bad habits like no community, no prayer, no worship, no word, no encouragement. We need good habits like people, prayer, worship, word, encouragement, confession, honesty. A good habit for all of us is to adopt the phrase, I need help. Because you do. Remembering the gospel is a good habit. Sitting under the preaching of the word and letting it actually form you, that's a good habit. Submitting to authority is a good habit. Fighting for unity. The Lord's day does all of those things and it is a good rhythm and it's necessary for us to follow Jesus. One of the things that we do on Sundays here is we have a whole service of liturgy and there are different liturgies. I mean, liturgy literally means habit. Liturgy is what we do during a day. Again, we try to put the habits, good habits of liturgy um, in our service every time we meet. Let me just talk about those for a minute. Sunday good habit liturgy is this, call to worship. Despite how difficult the week has been or how crazy you feel or how many times you've walked away from God, a call to worship reminds you this, there is a God who is consistently and constantly calling you back to him to worship him. You are worthy because of Jesus. Singing, we have a call to worship and then we sing songs. What is singing? Singing is our response to God. Singing is us telling God things about himself, about us, about the world. It's what we say that he is. It's good for the church to sing songs about how our heart is before him. I love you, Lord. I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet sound. Then we confess. I know all these things are crazy. To anybody who's new to our church in the room, I watch this happen all the time, man. They're like, what is going on? Why are we reciting things? <laughs> Why are they making me say these things? Because it's good for us to have a habit of confessing our need for God. It's the practice of stating facts. Have you ever thought about confession and assurance that way? Confession and assurance is the habit of stating a fact. Let me ask you this. Are you a sinner? You don't have to respond, but you would respond with, yeah, pastor, so am I. Do you need a savior? You would respond with, most of you, yes. Confession and assurance is us stating the fact that we just stated. And every week to go, I messed up this week. I need to be reminded of Jesus. I need to confess myself and my sin to God. It's stating a fact in a world that hates anymore, hates the truth. That's a good habit for us to go, yeah, I need Jesus. That's why I'm here. We need to be reminded of him. And then there's prayer. We call this intercession. Prayer. Prayer is calling out to God on behalf of the world, a world that's not calling out to God. Prayer is the prayers of the saints saying, God, I'm praying that with our poor and needy and on these streets that your kingdom would come in Shawnee, that your kingdom would come in Seminole, 
that your kingdom would come in Prague and Dale and Tecumseh and you name it, as it is in heaven. Because there's no poor and needy people in heaven. There's no deathly disease in heaven. All is made new. So we're praying, God, let your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. And then there's preaching. We've got call to worship, and then we sing, and then confession and assurance and intercession or prayer, and then we preach. If singing is us talking to God, preaching is God talking to us. It's his word. It's opening his word so that we can hear his voice. And I'm not saying you can't hear his voice when you sing. I mean, that, I've had multiple moments where the Lord spoke to me in singing. But singing, by and large, is us saying, God, you are this to me, and then it, this is God saying, yes, I am this to you. Preaching is important. Sitting under the word of God is important. It pulls us to the light and it sets the record straight. Then we take communion every week. We take the table every week. Weekly communion is a meal that we've been invited to as baptized believers. But it's more than just a symbol. It's a foreshadow of the ultimate meal. It's the way the Bible describes us is that sort of feast, that feast of the people of God when all eternity is wrapped up. We sit at the table with all the saints and Jesus is at the head. And we share an everlasting meal together. This is a foreshadow of that. This is us remembering, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and it satisfies me. That's what this is, communion. That's why we do it every single week. Because the Bible does tell us, do it often. And when you do it, remember God. And you know why? Why we need to do it every week? Because we have really bad memories. And then there's the benediction. Benediction simply means blessing. It's being blessed by God and then sent to go out of these walls and not just be Sunday morning Christians, to be the church scattered and not just the church gathered. Yes, Sundays are a necessary rhythm. The last thing is this. I love this verse. Very last thing. I'm going to do it really quickly. Sundays are actually warfare. It's warfare. Ephesians 3.10 sums up the church, says this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities where? In heavenly places. The church is not just a way. Church is not one of the 501c3 stacked up against the other 50 or whatever, and all of them somehow are going to get God's kingdom here. No, that's not what it is. The church is the way. The people of God, messed up, crazy acting, hot mess, saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, not perfect. God is it's amazing. Like, God is the only one who could do this. God is going to use that group of people to bring his kingdom in the world. And guess what? It is a done deal. It's signed, sealed, delivered. There is nothing that will stop that from happening. I love how the Bible describes the church. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. One pastor I know says, we tend to think of that as like the church is being defensive, and it's not. There's never been a gate that's attacked anybody. <laughs> the church is on the offense. Messed up people. 
Lots of darts, lots of arrows coming from the world, talking about how hypocritical, talking about whatever it is. It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter what's said. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's who you are. That's what Sundays are. It's warfare. It's warfare, man. This today, right now, in this room, where you sit, even though you don't feel like you're at war, even though you don't whatever it is, you are at battle right now. The church is the sword of God drawn by the king of kings. That's what the church is. It's warfare. When you pray, you're going to battle. When you sing, you're going to battle. Even right now, as you sit and listen, let your heart be open, you are going to battle. You are pushing back darkness in your house. You're pushing it back in your car. You're pushing it back in your heart. And you're pushing it back in the world. The church is the drawn sword of the king of kings. It's not just a way. It is the way that God brings his kingdom. Hey, listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to say, look, however you get here, just get here, even if it's cultural, because hopefully we'll hear the gospel enough to where it'll change our heart. But I want to stir you up today. This is not just a go-through-the-motion kind of day. Sometimes it takes discipline to even show up. Believe me. Today was our first day back at two services. I woke up like one hour earlier than normal, and I was like, this is terrible. Who would do this? Whose idea was this? Why can't we just knock out walls and add more chairs? One hour earlier. Ironically, I went to bed one hour before, but still, my brain. This is not just go through the motion, man. This isn't just wake up and come. And again, even though you don't have to always feel it, it's still really important to be here. And I'm not, look, I'm not here, I'm not telling, I don't keep tabs on who's here, who's not, whatever. Um, I'm not about to do that. I'm not, that ain't me. There's vacations and stuff that comes up, and sickness and blah, blah, blah. But it should be a top priority of our life. It should. It's so much more than just a cultural day. We're about to push back the darkness by taking the table of the Lord. Every step that you take coming to take this meal is a step of remembrance and repentance. And the good news is this, God does lead us to repentance, but it's his kindness. So in his kindness, he's not like you think, I promise. God is way different than we imagine. He's very kind. There's never been anyone more kind than God. And it is really scary to know that he knows everything about you. It's also scary to know that he put you in that chair today. But the least scary thing of all is that he did all that because of how incredibly loving and gracious and compassionate he is. We take communion every single uh, Sunday. I don't know if all of you are familiar with communion or not, but this is something that could be a little odd for those of you who are not used to church. It's, it's something the church has been doing for a long time. And the reason is this, is because Jesus was actually betrayed by his friends and by us, me and you too. And he went to the cross, and the cross was a Roman torture device they used to murder Jesus. And we believe as Christians that he went to that cross because ultimately we should be the ones that die for our sins. But Jesus, who was sinless, went on our behalf and died for us so that we wouldn't have to. 
And then here's the kicker. Because he was sinless, he was actually risen from the dead. And he's the only one that's ever been risen from the dead. And because he was risen from the dead, we get to be raised from the dead and have eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And what happened was, on the night that he was about to go to the cross and go because his friends, who were his disciples, betrayed him, he did what only Jesus would do. He had compassion on them, and he made for them a meal. And so every Sunday, we take this meal. The church has historically called that communion. There's other names called Eucharist, or the table, or the Lord's Supper. A lot of churches do this once every quarter, or once every whatever, and that's, that's fine. We do it because the Bible tells us to do it often. You know why? Because we forget about what Jesus has done. So we're going to do this today. We do it every Sunday, often. We're going to eat this bread because Jesus broke the bread. And we're going to drink this wine or this juice because Jesus offered the wine and juice to us. So here's the deal. This is where it gets awkward. If you are not a Christian in the room, if you have not been baptized into the Christian faith, I would ask you simply this. I know it's going to be awkward. I hate this, but it's necessary. Please don't take this meal. Faith is required to take the meal. And honestly, it wouldn't make any sense for you to take it anyway. Because you don't yet believe this doesn't make any sense to you. So please, just today. Um, there, man, there's plenty of people usually that aren't taking communion. So don't feel awkward about it. But just please stay seated as the rest of us take communion. If you are a baptized believer, if you have trusted Jesus, even if you feel crazy or haven't followed him in years, you can come to the table today. I want to invite you to stand up.